BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. I'm Matthew Sweet, and I'm here with an emotional message. It's about the Arts and Ideas podcast and the state you'll get into if you download the discussions and short talks from this year's Free Thinking Festival. We have all the ideas, and now we have all the feels. How angry should our politics be? Really angry or not quite so angry? Do our pets love us, or are they just playing us for processed meat? Why do we love weeping at the movies? Should doctors and nurses cry? The BBC Arts and Ideas podcast. You push our buttons, and we'll push yours. Can you think of a 20th century piano concerto that combines the influence of Mozart with the sound and hypnotic rhythms of the gamelan, the orchestra of bronze gongs found in Bali and Java? In fact, it's a concerto for two pianos by Francis Poulenc, premiered by the composer with his friend Jacques Fevrier in Venice in 1932. And Poulenc wrote to a colleague that he'd see for himself what an enormous step forward this concerto was from his previous pieces, and that with it he was entering his great period. Which might seem arrogant for a 33-year-old composer, but wait until you've heard it for yourself. I'm Andrew McGregor, presenter of BBC Radio 3's Record Review. Welcome to this podcast edition of Building a Library, comparing recordings of Poulenc's concerto for two pianos, including, of course, Poulenc and Fevrier's own. Now, I was joined in the studio by Tom McKinney, who has no doubt that Poulenc was right about his double concerto. Tom thinks it's a masterpiece, right from the brilliantly exuberant opening. The opening of Poulenc's Concerto for Two Pianos. And uh, Tom McKinney, this is Poulenc, 1932, so it's, I suppose it counts as quite early Poulenc still in, in many ways. What's the inspiration for the piece? Yeah, it is early Poulenc, 33 years old, and he went to the 1931 exposition, the colonial exposition in Paris, actually, and heard Gamelan. Um, so that's what you hear at the very beginning, where the pianos are together. It's the imitation of Gamelan. Also, Mozart becomes increasingly important. You'll hear later in the concerto, the second movement in particular, so this concerto, it's a, an interesting blend. And I think that it's because of the association with Poulenc is perhaps he's not a particularly serious composer, that performers sometimes feel they can take real liberties with what he actually asks them to do. Um, every section has a metronome marking. And in some cases, they just have absolutely no regard for Poulenc's instructions. No one sticks exactly to tempo markings. That, that would be ridiculous and no composer would want that. But so wild in, in, in divergence of speed that it, it's quite remarkable. The one that we're going to hear now, this is the Lebec sisters. They have 
know, maybe they don't even know what Poulenc wrote for the speech because they clearly haven't read the tempo markings because they started so fast and about 30 seconds into the music, Poulenc asks it to go slightly faster and you think, no, they can't possibly get faster and miraculously they actually do. and Marielle Lebec with Sage Azawa conducting the Boston Symphony Orchestra. And as I, t- I told you, Andrew, it's fast. And it, it is, and it's exhilarating. I mean, that, that, it's making me grin out loud. It, it is, and if but, you listen in headphones, you'll hear their, how their breathing changes at that sudden tempo change because it's almost they realise, oops, we've taken this a bit too fast perhaps. But they get through it, and, and you know, it, it's manic. It's, it's a mad, mad performance. But you've got to balance the, these two sides of Poulenc. Poulenc, the entertainer. Poulenc, the great, serious composer. I think with the Lebecs, they probably go a bit too much to the entertainment side. Um, and they, they, they're not particularly um, respectful of what Poulenc writes. Respectful, complicated word there, let's not get into what respect of a composer is. But I think also with that is this particular performance, the Boston Symphony Orchestra are very much there in an accompanying role. This is all about the Lebec sisters, this performance. And there is the idea of siblings comes into this. And there are three other recordings I know of by siblings. There's the Pekinel sisters, Turkish identical twins. Then there's the Croatian Bizjak sisters and there's two Dutch brothers called the Jussen brothers. I guess it's great from a marketing perspective, this single-minded musical entity. Two musicians, you know, sort of connected by birth, a genetic sort of link. But when they play them, as they tend to, so straight-laced and so bland, it's not hard to work out why there is this perfect synchronisation. Now, the Lebec sisters have a real freedom of great rubato, the great great musical understanding, whereas the other recordings by siblings are very, very bland, and it's no wonder they're, they're so immaculate. But it does ask, what's the difference between a one-piano concerto and a two-piano concerto? Because in actual fact... Poulenc's writing for two pianos is very thin. It's, it's not densely textured. And it's very often swapping parts. There's not that much where they're actually in unison. They come together in a way of an orchestral tutti. They're not together all the way through. They, they sort of swap parts. And when it comes to recording, you have to hear that separation. That becomes part of the joy of it, doesn't it? In- but how much separation? Because in some recordings, they're very widely panned. Um, in some, you get very different sounds of pianos. But when you hear it performed live and when it's recorded, the pianos are so close together. You know, they overlap, the pianists face each other, the idea of, you know, proximity for good ensemble, good musicianship. And when it comes to recording, a real important thing is actually matching the piano sounds because that's what you want to be the same. 
you want the styles of pianists perhaps to be different, how they, they play their parts to be different, different techniques, different approach to how they play the piano. But the pianos should actually sound the same. And they should, I think all the piano technicians in these recordings should be credited. None of them are, but they all, the piano tuners and technicians should be credited for this. And they never are. Although in this case, <laughs> the piano technician definitely shouldn't be created because they don't always go to plan. And this is Bracha Eden and Alexander Tamir in the early 70s, 1972, I think this is. And this is where two pianos certainly don't match. Everybody in the studio wincing slightly as that was being played because they're, they're not they're not in tune. Both pianos are flat compared to the orchestra, but one piano is flatter than the other. <laughs> so, yeah, the, it's um, such an unfortunate mismatch. It creates it? a very interesting harmonic sound world. We we have to sort of take this off the table, do we? It's got to be. And even though yeah. the playing's wonderful at times, it, you just can't appreciate it because as soon as you get anything with orchestra, it's it's intolerable actually to listen to. It's a real shame. Well, so many things about this first movement of the concerto, a typical early Puyang, if you like. You get those sudden shifts and changes he loves to throw at you, um, the dynamics, the rhythms, the harmonies, the quirky writing. To get through this movement without it being too contrived, without it sort of too stop-start, it's how you judge those transitions. Some need to be very abrupt and jarring, some need to transition very smoothly, and this recording by Eric Lesage and Franck Brelet, this is with Stéphane Deneuve conducting the Liège Philharmonic, they get these transitions just right. Franck Brelet and Eric Lesage with the Liège Philharmonic and Stéphane Deneuve conducting. And those transitions are, are really good, the way they switch from, you know, beautiful lyricism to, to the manic sort of craziness. But also what's great about that is we've got lots of orchestral detail. The orchestra's absolutely with them. The balance is great. And when it comes to orchestral detail, that's the thing that I started to focus on because many of the interpretations are actually quite similar of the better recordings. So I started to look at orchestral detail and the BBC Phil with Edward Gardner 
see, I've mentioned the orchestra and conductor, but I've even mentioned the pianist for this recording, the pianist to Louis Lorty and Hélène Mercier. And Edward Gardner judges the transitions perfectly, but also the orchestra absolutely spot on here. There's something which started to get to me, which is the quality of the castanets. Now, they only occur on a couple of occasions, but it's amazing just how sloppy they are in so many recordings, whereas in this, it's really crisp, really tight, and just listen to the strings, this immaculate pizzicato chord at the end of this clip, because in some cases, some recordings, it's a real mess. Precise. It makes all the difference in these recordings. And the castanets as well. And the the, the orchestral balance, it's really good, it's really clear, and the the recording just presents it all with such clarity. You don't miss a trick. No, everything's there, and if you follow the score, you know, you will hear things in that recording that you just don't hear elsewhere. Well, that was Louis Lotti and Hélène Messier with the BBC Philharmonic and uh, Ed Gardner. Uh, We've got another French duo we haven't heard yet. This is um, Sylvain Desfernes and Pascal Roger. Yeah, one of the great French pins, you know, the guy associated with all the French repertoire, and this is immaculate playing. The articulation actually is unparalleled in any of the recordings in this. Um, and they probably get the most beautiful sounds out of the piano as well. It's just so clear. I mean, everything they do is so precise. Their ensemble, their synchronisation is immaculate. Um, and this is now, this this point here is the return of the gamelan, and you'll hear just how, how perfect they are. But each note is played with such precision. It's, it's remarkable.
Poulenc's hypnotic imitation of a Balinese gamelan orchestra and such beautifully articulated piano playing from uh, Sylvain Deferne and Pascal Roger. That's with the Philharmonia and Charles Dutois. And uh, it's just, it's beautiful. We t- you had this sort of exhalation when they come in with, it, with, with that moment. It's still, it's gorgeous, and the harmonies are so ravishing. Well, I think that we, we both had the same experiences then when, when the orchestra joins them in that gamelan. Yeah. I think our hearts began to flutter. It's just, only Poulain can do that. It's just, there's this, this I don't even know what that chord is, but it's, it's just, it's a classic Poulain chord that comes along and it just goes, wow. You know, it's, it's like a palate cleanser, so all of a sudden it goes, you know. Well, that's beautifully recorded piano playing as well. Um, we heard Katia and Marielle Lebec uh, setting off at a tremendous lick at the beginning. How do they handle the rest of the switchback rider? This well, I told you that they give the most tempo variety. They ignore most of Poulain's tempi. It can often feel a bit too much because they end this movement very slowly. And yet, actually, there's something about this that's quite special. nothing subtle at all about the way Catty and Marielle Lebec play this it's very slow at the end and they kind of quite declamatory with some of the phrasing with the melody but I think, I think it's a nice ending to the movement I think it works very nicely it's eerie and hypnotic it certainly is and it's also it's not boring because yeah. you know their articulation is, is very heavy so it makes it quite exciting still um, Poulenc wrote this as a party piece for himself to play with Jacques Fevrier um, who was premiered the piece with Poulenc in 1932. And this recording now is actually of Poulenc and Fevrier reunited in 1957. And the sound quality is not brilliant. It's with the Paris Conservatoire Orchestra and Pierre Deveau um, conducting. I think it was part of a series of celebrity recordings that, that Poulenc did, um, sort of approaching the end of his life. Poulenc's a great pianist. And it's great playing, really great playing. But what really surprises me in the 26 years since Poulenc wrote the piece and then plays it in this recording... He's absolutely adamant that it should be played at these speeds. He sticks the original tempies almost exactly.
There you are, a piece of uh, recording history. Francis Poulenc himself with Jacques Fevrier, the two pianists who gave the first performance of Poulenc's uh, concerto of two pianos, with the Orchestre de la Société des Concerts du Conservatoire, conducted by Pierre Dervaux. And... Well, you mentioned that um, he was an absolute stickler for his own um, tempo indications. And it's marked larghetto, a little largo. So slow, but not too slow. Yeah, and I think the, the, the tempo marking is crotchy 92. And I did sit down with my metronome and test it. And he's bang on. he starts bang on 92. I think that what's important is to, to feel big beats. So uh, the beat is at the start of the bar. You don't feel the beat divided within the bar. You've got to, and that's what gives it the loghetto sense. It's a deliberate Mozart homage of slow movements. Some people hear the D minor concerto, some people hear the great C major concerto of Mozart's in there. I think, I think it's, it's, a, it's a general Mozart homage. The way it opens, it's a Mozart melody straight away, which shouldn't be surprising because Poulenc always said, you know, Mozart was the great composer for him. You know, it was the composer he, he idolised, the composer he wanted to model himself on. OK, we've just heard a, an important historic recording. Uh, are there any other classic and historic ones that we should know about that, well, obviously haven't made your shortlist? Bernstein recorded it in 1962 um, with the New York Phil and Arthur Gold and Robert Fisdale. It's very slow, very dreary. Um, it lacks the crispness and sort of lightness that the piece needs. And then there's a recording of Richter, live in 1990 with Elisabeth Leonskaya, and that is really terrible. And, you know, if you're a fan of Richter, please don't listen to it because you'll you'll weep. It's a very sad thing to hear. Right, well, you've saved us from that. <laughs> um, you have got a live recording we haven't heard yet. Um, if I said it was from a mercurial pianist who I would expect to be quite a good match for Poulenc's uh, characteristic willfulness, do you think that's fair? Absolutely, and this piece has become Marta Argerich's party piece. Um, she runs this scheme called Marta Argerich Presents, which is where she mentors a young pianist, and she's played it with lots of them. The live recording we're going to hear is with the pianist Alexander Gerning, and this is live at Lugano in 2007. Like um, Katia and Maria Labeck, no regard for Tempi whatsoever, and they play this very slow. Now, what tends to happen in the slower starts to this second movement is they get progressively faster. But Argerich and Gerning keep it exactly in time. Argerich and Alexander Gerning in Poulenc's Larghetto with the Orchestra della Svizzera Italiana conducted by Erasmo Capilla. That's a concert recording from the 2007 Lugano Festival. Now, Tom, look, there's, there's usually more to a Marta Argerich recording than whether or not she follows a metronome mark, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, that's live. And there's there's some real on-stage spontaneity going on. Um, the phrasing for me is a little bit too much, I think. But what I love is that um, there's a sense of trying to catch out each other. So Because she, she's there with these young pianists who she's mentoring and she wants them to give as good as she gives. So she's gives. testing them. She's sort of chucking them yeah, little things and seeing yeah, how they she, respond. She lobs curveballs in and they respond. But what what I think is important in that movement is because the outer movements... There's so much room for sort of wildly divergent interpretations and you can go quite crazy with the outer movements. I think that's that central movement. It's so gorgeous. It's so sort of perfect. It's sometimes nice to just play it, just let the, the notes speak for themselves and not do too much with it. But the main structural feature is this long central crescendo which leads up to this big bass drum smash. And um, the next recording is this is Louis Lorty and Alain Messier again with the, with the BBC Phil and... They pace this perfectly. I mean, they, they, it really increases in tension, but in, in the right balance at every point. And also, I, I spoke about the orchestral detail at the start of this and how the BBC feel are so good at getting all the detail out. You'll hear a trumpet solo in this that you just do not hear on other recordings. This really isn't a concerto just about the soloists. You know, the orchestra have got to be there, and the BBC forget it right. I think that trumpet solo, it's only three seconds of music, but it makes such a difference when it's there. It changes the entire character. And a recording similar to that, where the, where the orchestral detail is also great, is it's the um, Liège Philharmonic, Stefan Deneuve conducting. They also get all the detail in. And you've got um, Eric Lesage and Franck Brelet. They take it at a very similar speed to the recording we've just heard. But after the bass drum climax... You've got to get this transition back to the opening melody and they do it seamlessly with this really gentle, smooth, swinging phrasing.
It's beautiful, isn't it? The way he brings us back to Mozart there and then throws in chords. <laughs> they would have had Mozart raising his eyebrows. Eric Lesage and Franck Brade with the Liège Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Stéphane Deneuve. And beautifully controlled exchanges. The balance is wonderful. Um, it doesn't sound over-controlled. There's a lovely sort of plasticity to the phrasing and the way they, 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 they just micromanage the tempi. And most importantly, not only the pianist doing that, but the orchestra absolutely with them as well. They're, they're following those ideas and they're able to... The sort of their rubato as well with the orchestra, so subtle, but they're absolutely with the pianist all the time. Who are we going to hear next? We're back to Sylviane Defen and Pascal Roger. They take this a lot quicker. Side by side, this will feel rushed. It will feel hurried. However, I, I can promise you, if you listen to it in the context of the whole movement, it doesn't feel rushed. And I think that's partly because we're back to this idea of just how clear their sound is, the clarity, the precision, the accuracy... Notes never trip over each other. They're just placed with such precision that it always has this real sort of gentle pacing. Brings us back to this final moment in the movement of some more gamelan. Gamelin comes back right at the end, Balinese bronze gongs, uh, the close of the second movement of Poulenc's concerto for two pianos. That was Sylviane de Fern and Pascal Roger with the Philharmonia conducted by Charles Dutrois. OK, that's the calm Mozartian centre of the Poulenc double concerto. Uh, what happens next? This is where the virtuosity comes to the fore and the, the pianists have got to be bang on. The clarity of their articulation has to be so spot on. We're starting with Louis Lorty and Hélène Mercier. They take it quite fast, actually. Thank you. 
That's the 2015 Chandos recording of Louis Lorty and Hélène Mercier with the BBC Philharmonic and Edward Gardner conducting. And it's a great recording. They, they take that movement at a really good speed. It's fast, it's virtuosic. But the articulation's not quite there. The notes aren't speaking quite as clearly as other recordings. And actually, the pianos can sound a little bit sedate. There's not that sparkle and bite of other recordings. But it is a brilliant performance. And like I've been saying throughout, the, the BBC the film, yeah. they get a lot more detail out than most recordings do. Lesage and Bralet, this is the next recording now, they get the speed right and listen to the, the difference in the piano sound and just the clarity of the articulation. Not only that, though, the orchestra's always with them. The orchestra's got its own interesting things to say. The orchestra is never just accompaniment. Kulak's finale from Eric Lesage and Franck Bralet. Honestly, the, the precision and clarity of those flying fingers is remarkable. I remember um, a good friend of mine, sax player, who um, plays mostly jazz, saying that what makes a great jazz drummer is a, a drummer who's absolutely 100% accurate, and yet there's a swing and plasticity to this accuracy, bizarrely. It sounds counterintuitive. <laughs> That's what that has, though. It's not just robotic. It's not just notes sort of logged into a robot. There is a musicality to it. There's, everything is phrased. It's, it's always musical at every single point. I'm already uh, wondering what the Lebec sisters do with Poulenc's tempos in the finale. Well, so that was subtle phrasing. <laughs> There's nothing subtle here at all, though, about the Lebec sisters. Some of the rubato is wildly over the top. I enjoy it. I really, really enjoy the way they play. The only trouble is, though, is they, they have lots of great ideas. There's a bit where they do go into a jazz sort of swing. They play the rhythm in triplets as opposed to sort of dotted rhythm. In, in a moment, you'll hear they sort of swing the rhythm. But the orchestra just aren't there with them. The orchestra still just plod away with this very straight-laced... Kind of like spoil sports, really.
Mathieu and Maria Lebec. Uh, well, it sounds as though they're almost taking Azawa and the Boston Symphony Orchestra by surprise. They don't know how to respond to them, so they just keep ploughing straight ahead. Yeah, they do. And, and the whole recording is all about the pianist. The, the, the orchestra seems to be an afterthought at times, which is what's also happened in how the balance has, has yeah, worked. Yeah, the orchestra's too far back, isn't it? It's and then suddenly, yeah. when it's those horn solos just now, which are naturally loud. And, th- and this happens throughout that whole recording where something's happened in the editing, in the mastering, where the, the orchestra just comes in and out unnaturally. Mm. It's too prominent at times. Most of the time, it's just it's just not there. But there is something undeniably spontaneous and exciting about the way they approach the concerto. Can, is there another recording which is uh, sort of easier to keep on the table that has some of that spontaneity and electricity? There's a live recording of them with the Vienna Phil, which is far too eccentric. They start everything too fast. There's a couple of moments when you think, oh, are they going to stop at this point and sort of redo that section? It is it is wild. If you want live, then really the choice is to go for Argerich and Gerning. It's not faultless, and the orchestra actually can be surprisingly scruffy at times. It's the um, Orchestra della Svizzeria Italiana, and it, it's another one which a pianist or everything. Argerich has played this many, many times, plays it with, as I say, with these young musicians that she mentors. And as we were talking about this idea of her trying to catch them out, but wanting them to respond equally, she wants the student to catch her out as well. And that's what you get. This is a recording which is full of fun. <laughs> Martha Argerich and Alexander Gurning having fun playing cat and mouse uh, with each other in concert at the Lugano Festival in 2007. But Tommy, is it too cavalier to be a library choice? And, and you, as you said, the balance really favours the pianist, doesn't it? I think it's, it's this thing that you always ask, should a live performance be the same as a studio performance? In this case, absolutely not. I mean, I think when you see this live, it should have that sense of kind of, you know, careless fun about it. So it works brilliantly live. But you can start to pick too many faults in it. For example, the orchestra just aren't really there. And actually, you know, sometimes um, Argerich and Gerning aren't quite there together either. They're, they're sort of out at times, ensemble-wise. You know, if you want pure entertainment, this is the recording to go for. Who's left? Because I think we may be down to just two French duos at this point, are we? And I'm so disappointed in myself because I thought, I'm, I, hope this, I hope my final library choice isn't French pianist because that's just such a stereotype to choose this. But it is, it is two French duos. So I've got um, Sylviane Defen and Pascal Roger and we've only got two recordings left. So I guess it is a competition now. So they're versus Lesage and, um, uh, Eric Lesage and Franck Bralet. Very similar interpretations and very little to separate them. I'm going to start with Defen and Roger. Thank you. 
final scale. It's played with such class, such such panache. And actually, technically, I would say that recording stands out as the most impressive of all of them. It's from 1994, Sylviane de Fern and Pascal Roger with Charles Dutois conducting the Philharmonia. However, at times, the playing is so accurate from the pianist that it can become a little bit dry. It can sound a bit too percussive, just lacks a kind of a certain sparkle. And for me, I just kept on thinking, listening to all these recordings, that the orchestration is so brilliant that I started to become so fussy if there wasn't detail that wasn't there. I, it started to frustrate me and... A lot of what the Philharmonia does, Charles Dutour conducting, is lost. The strings are very muddy and we lose a lot of the brass and wind, which is which is a real shame. Because I think Poulenc is such a misunderstood composer, still to this day, you know, he's forever tarnished with the idea that he's a flippant composer. And yet, in actual fact, he's the master of balancing a sense of humour, even nonsense at the time, alongside incredibly moving, just very simple, brilliant melodies. He's a brilliant writer of tunes. A number of times we've been listening to these clips and we've just looked at each other and smiled at this amazing harmonic sound world. Oh, yeah, it's magical. And a brilliant orchestrator. However, he also never forgot that there's absolutely nothing wrong at all with entertaining audiences, with wanting to write entertaining music. It's such a unique piece of music. It should be played a lot more. Really, I suppose, in my library choice, what I've been trying to find is that middle ground, one which pays respect, is that the right word? Yeah, perhaps pays respect as a a man who was really one of the last century's greatest composers, I think, Poulenc, I think he really was, balancing that side of him with the fact that he is a great composer with the fact that you've got to create 20 minutes of entertainment. So the recording I was looking for was the middle ground of that. And for me, sparkling sound, clean articulation, with a certain musical looseness, great piano sound, a great orchestra... um, Eric Lesage and Franck Brelet, they're, they're getting my vote for this one um, because they've also got an orchestra there which is not only there as a supporting role but they're given, the orchestra's given the full recognition. Just listen to this final rapid passage, the clarity of their playing. It is breathtaking.
the intricacies of Balinese gamelan all the way to the end of Poulenc's concerto for two pianos and for the sparkling playing, the articulation and not least the orchestral detail and sound. That's the recording that ticks the most boxes for reviewer Tom McKinney. Pianists Eric Lesage and Franck Bralet with the Liège Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Stéphane Deneuve. So that's Tom's overall Building a Library recommendation, which you can find on the RCA and Sony labels. Details are on the Record Review website alongside some of Tom's other favourites. You've been listening to a podcast edition of Building a Library from BBC Sounds. Next time, we're delving deep into the world of Nordic mythology. Andrew Meller joins me to compare recordings of Sibelius's Lemminkainen Suite. You can listen live if you join me, Andrew McGregor, for Record Review every Saturday morning from 9 on BBC Radio 3, on FM, online and on BBC Sounds, where you can discover more music, radio and podcasts like this one. This is a download from the BBC. For more information and for terms of use, go to bbc.co.uk slash radio 3.